Grayspace Podcast. Welcome to the Grayspace Podcast. My name is Luke, and in this discussion, in this episode, Matthew Lewis and I are going to be talking about the film Enemy. So obviously I would recommend watching the film before you listen to the discussion. However, if you don't have time, it's okay. We are doing something a little bit different in this one. At the beginning, we're going to summarize the film, basically talk about what happens. So at least you'll have that as a kind of reference point if you haven't seen it, so that then the discussion that follows makes sense. We're going to be getting into some mythological ideas as well as some Jungian ideas like the shadow and the anima and how those relate to the film, sort of like we did in our previous discussion about the film Her. So you could sort of see this as a part two discussion of those ideas, but more of a darker side of the coin. Not that the conversation is dark, but that it is definitely a darker film. So anyway, I hope that you enjoy it. If you have thoughts you'd like to share, definitely leave a comment. And without further delay, let's get into the discussion. I think at the start, the best thing to do, as we discussed, would be to just sort of kind of go through it as a summary. Not not in too much detail, but just sort of talk about what happens in the movie. Yeah. As you suggested. This is your suggestion. I think it's a, it's a great suggestion. It's one of your best. <laughs> I got one. <laughs> the first and the best. Because for anyone watching this who doesn't have the energy to watch Enemy, shame on you. But I get it. We have limited time. So we'll try to just talk through it very simply uh, so that you have a picture so that then the conversation that follows isn't nonsense. Because in our previous <laughs> discussions, for anyone who hadn't seen her or Joker, which we had talked about before, it might be nonsense. And uh, it, I think it would be pretty easy to tune out. So we're, we're, we're lowering the threshold here a little bit. And that's, I think, a good thing. <clears throat> Doing it for the people. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. We can change it later. We can change it later. Yeah. We could start talking about James Joyce only later well, and alienate everybody. Yeah. And then we, we could start the podcast by talking about a uh, niche concept of Carl Jung for 20 minutes right at the start. Uh, let's let's alienate as many people as possible as quickly. Let's do as that possible. again. <laughs> yeah. Let's do that one more time. Uh, okay. Well, with that disclaimer, um, let's let's just try to I don't know how we can start, but but maybe I can just sort of begin, and then you can you can uh, tell me what I have wrong or flesh it out a little bit for me. <laughs> well, so okay, what if we? Uh, so what if I start with the idea of why I wanted to, why I thought we should watch it again, and then you give the synopsis, right? Because it is your suggestion. You're the one who said let's watch Enemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that so, makes sense. Um, I concede to you. So, uh, <laughs> thanks. So I went over to a friend's house about to hang out. And I noticed that he was watching enemy and I saw this movie a long time ago. Well, uh, three or four years ago and it just kind of when it came took out. me by, um, it was on streamings and it, I think it just, it kind of took me by surprise. I, it's one of those movies where it's like, you know that there's something to it and mm. you can't quite get it out of your head and you know that there's stuff to keep thinking about and symbolism and all that. And then I watched this, um, uh, explanation video by this guy named Chris Stuckman. It was Chris Stuckman's enemy explained. And so I watched it and I was like, oh my God, the symbolism and all this. 
And then I just kept thinking about it and I never watched it again. And then I went over to my friend's house and he, he was actually about 20 minutes into it. And I was like, man, do you mind start that movie over? Because I've wanted to watch it so badly since I've now read, since the last time I saw it, read all this Campbell and Young stuff. And so I think it'll make more sense. So we were, he's, he, he's like, yeah, we'll start it over. So we started it over. And then the first two images. It's a good friend. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I've got a handful for sure. He, um, started it over. And then the first two images where the first two females you're introduced to are mothers and their mother images or mother ideas. And it's like, Oh, Oh my God, this is going to, this is going to be great. Everything's going to make sense now. You love mothers. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so then after, you know, after finishing watching it, it just seemed to, there were so many parallels to the discussion that you and I just had about her with the anima, the animus, the container, the contained, the idea of the role of the mother and father in develop in developmental psychology and then symbolism throughout history and all that kind of stuff. Watch and our it her seemed, podcast if you haven't seen that, people. Yeah, yeah. And I'm gonna use this analogy because I think it's funny. To me, the her was like a Sufjan Stevens cover of Jungian ideas. Mm-hmm. And then Enemy was like the tool cover of Jungian <laughs> ideas. So, Interesting. What, you know, her is, is, is more, it, it's not dark. I mean, it has dark aspects to it. It's definitely a, a div, you deal psychologically with it's, difficult things. It's in depth, things. but it's not dark. Yeah. It's heavy, yeah. but it's not dark. It's heavy. Heavy is the word. Exactly. And whereas enemy is, it's definitely more dark. And dark yellow, in fact. Yeah, for sure. He loves it. He loves that color. Um, I have an idea why he loves that color in Blade Runner, which we'll talk about at some point. But yeah, enemy seemed to be the dark sibling counterpart to her. And so then it just seemed like a great reason for it it seemed like it would be a great companion piece to her to kind of get to talk about two different flavors of those ideas so that if people watch these and they can hopefully go watch the movies and kind of see the the contrast and take on young the other ideas. side of the coin okay yeah so yeah so yeah for those of you who haven't watched her the main ideas we talked about uh, sort of the main theme that ran throughout that conversation about the movie is the idea of one person in a marriage or let's say a relationship or a marriage being the container of the other in the sense that maybe not in terms of their intellect, but there are maybe are limitations of one person. So they exist sort of in the world of another. And then if the one who's the contained starts to grow or develop, then they might expand outside or beyond their the container in the marriage. And so at that point... And, and this is what we talked about in her, the there has to be sort of a new deal. Either they become separate in their own way and sort of respect each other as maybe separate containers, or the contained explodes and transcends the container and the relationship ends in probably divorce or something like that, which is uh, which is what happens in her. So that's the idea, just, just sort of in case we reference it many times later. That's the basic idea. Um, Yes. And, and what about the anima, anima but, idea? 
as well. You want to you want to talk about that in three words or less? Yeah, just I I, I can sum it up. Um, in her, uh, Samantha. So there's there's Theodore, the main character, and then the OS that he that is created from his words. Um, yeah. And Samantha is essentially kind of his anima, sort of this idealized female in a sense, because she's a, this sort of perfect complement for what he thinks he needs at the beginning. She grows out of that, but at the beginning, it seems like that's his anima. Uh, and then the whole reason she's she comes into being the way that she does is because of the question that is asked to him when the OS is being generated, which is, how is your relationship with your mother? So we've got that whole mother and anima idea in her, and we've definitely got it. Right in an enemy it seems a simple way to maybe talk about the her would be if uh, your eyeballs had projector lights in them and uh you could project outside of yourself ideas from your subconscious the anima would be the female that is uh the projection on the wall not only in appearance but from your sort of your sort of unconscious or your subconscious of what the the perfect complement to your masculinity is as a as a male right yeah, yeah, it's it's like the <clears throat> the ideal feminine, right? Yeah. So, but that's not the same for everybody. That's different depending on your own sort of the the form of your own masculine landscape. Then creates to complement it the anima, which must include good feet. Yes, yes, well, yes, <laughs> or a red station wagon. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So we'll talk about that later. Yeah. So. What happens in enemy? Do you want to? Sure, you I can give try. Well, I can try. I can only try my best. So there's a a university professor. His name is Adam. He has a wife. His his wife's name is Helen, Adam and Helen. And he is at the very beginning. I think importantly talking about uh, totalitarian regimes and how they're all based on control. They're all based on they they derive their power from controlling the population. And he also mentions. A, a quote of Karl Marx via Hegel, which is something like uh, uh, disasters or historical calamities happen twice. The first time is a tragedy. The second time is a farce. It's actually a quote of Karl Marx talking about making a commentary of Hegel. And uh, yeah. that is definitely important later in the film, for sure. But we can talk about that later. Okay, so so then we see him with his mistress and it seems like their relationship is completely physical uh, after they're done doing the deed she leaves every time <laughs> and he seems to have a very depressing life everything is yellow everything is dark he seems like he's completely sort of isolated from reality when his colleague talks to him it's almost like he can't he can't even function in the conversation barely emotionally so he seems very subdued very depressed and has this but has this single sort of sexual relationship his job he doesn't seem that interested in that then he encounters a movie and sees in the movie someone who looks exactly like him sort of a doppelganger of himself and he becomes completely fascinated with this doppelganger uh, makes a phone call and talks to the wife of the doppelganger and uh, uh, then later eventually uh, encounters the, the doppelganger and they find out that they are in somehow the same person. Um, we'll talk about that too, but but they're presented as two people. 
two separate people with the exact same scar, the exact same features, the everything is exactly the same, same beard, totally the same. The interesting thing there is when Adam is dealing with the doppelganger, Anthony, who is an actor and has a cool motorcycle, a cool motorcycle helmet, um, the kind of cool motorcycle, motorcycle that, jacket. <laughs> yeah, the kind of motorcycle jacket a nine-year-old would buy. <laughs> um, Adam's hands shake, and he's very tense. He sort of worships, and his his eyes light up. But at the same time, he can barely open his mouth to speak, as as, as though you were around a celebrity, and you could barely get get, get, get your sentences oh. out. Oh. Right? What? It's, we're we're getting you got incredibly meta. It's as it's as though Jake Gyllenhaal playing this character is playing a character who's nervous being around, and and a, a celebrity who is played by Jake Gyllenhaal let's, let's playing a celebrity. All right. Uh, well, but that's that's definitely his characteristic. His demeanor around his doppelganger is a, a, a willing inferiority, uh, accepting immediately that the doppelganger is superior because he's cool. He's an actor. He's got a cool motorcycle. <laughs> Just making my hands shake thinking about it. <laughs> uh, so, so they they after they encounter each other, they um, it, it eventually works out that uh, the doppelganger is has a child on the way. His wife is pregnant with their child. The uh, motorcycle she, guy, the motorcycle guy, Mister Cool, the actor, has a wife with a child uh, on the way. And he has had affairs in the past, and she mentions that. And so they're dealing with this thing. Then somehow he he figures out how to how to blackmail, kind of, or or um, uh, uh, pressure Adam into letting him, Anthony, Mister Cool, have sex with Adam's girlfriend. In the film, it's presented as his girlfriend or his. It's not. It's not a mistress. It's presented as his girlfriend. Okay. So then they go off to a hotel. She notices his, uh, the the um, he must have gone to Puerto Rico or something because he has a he must have a tan because the wedding ring there's a <laughs> white line there. She notices it. She notices it. They get in a fight. They're on the way home in the car. Get in a car accident. They die. And then Adam is at the same time simultaneously at Anthony's wife's house. The pregnant lady. The pregnant lady. And she seems to notice that something is different. Uh, she seems aware of his state. Right By this time, I don't know about you, but it's pretty obvious to me that we're watching a movie about one couple. Uh, uh, and that's it. There is no doppelganger. There's one. There's one. There's a man who's married to a lady who's pregnant, and that's it. <laughs> Or maybe the whole movie is in his subconscious. It doesn't really, I don't think it really matters. We can talk about that too, but. Yeah, uh, it was all in a walking Phoenix's head the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Anyway, there's a moment of tenderness where she, he sits down uh, on the bed with her and there's, there's, I, I think the sort of, when there's a, when there's a, a sex scene in a movie that's not completely passionate and it's got love in it as well. You know, when you see that, you feel kind of warm. You realize that this is an act of this. This this is something to make you happy. This is a good thing. It feels like a good thing, which is very different from from Anthony having sex with this girlfriend. 
right? It's a very different. That's a completely passionate act. This is a this is sort of a loving act. It's a very different mm. form of sex when you see when you see this. She has sex with him. So okay, so that's that's what happens. Now underneath, there's this awareness that Anthony has been going to this club where sexy ladies with sexy feet step on spiders. And it's a it's a club where weird things happen. They step on spiders with their stiletto heels. We see that at the very beginning of the movie. Well, there was uh, there's a key to this club, and uh, and when uh, when Adam goes to the apartment of Anthony's wife, the pregnant lady, he they have sex. There's a sort of tender moment, and then he gets the the up the new key to this weird sex club with the spiders. And says, after he gets the key to his wife, after they had this sort of, you know, beautiful moment in their relationship. Conciliatory? Reconciliation? Conciliation is a a good moment. It feels good. Then he says, after he gets this new key to this sex club, I'm I'm going out later. That moment seems somehow to to trigger something. Something flips and something clicks. He walks into the room where she is and she is now gigantic spider huddled up against the corner not a not a sort of menacing spider a spider mm. to be feared but a spider afraid or cornered yeah. or um not in a not in a good position and he his the look on his face is also not fear the look on his face is complicated very complicated i think and uh that's where the movie ends that's the, that's the story that's did i miss anything uh no that was great i th- I think his his face at the end is resignation to here we go again, kind of, right. which is exactly what the movie is about. So do, do you want to just kind of walk through it? Because I think... Uh, well, yeah, we can do that. You mean walk through the whole, the whole film in sequence? I don't think it necessarily hmm. has to happen in sequence. I have some... Yeah. You know, maybe we can just go through some questions. I've got some sort of... I've yeah. kind of broken it down. Maybe we can talk about the pieces. So hopefully the... The general idea, the structure of it is clear, and then we can sort of mm-hmm. dive into it as needed. But yeah, did I sounds before good. we before we do that? Did I miss anything? Is there anything that's missing? Because you watched it twi- twice in a twenty four hour th- period. I think so. So this is the. I think I've seen it four times. I've seen no, it, I've seen it once. I should watch it again. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Start with the questions. Let's do that. Sounds good. All right. So uh, I want to make sure we're on the same page about the. Uh, this is. It is. It's just no case to be made that this is a story about two guys who look the same. That's ridiculous, right? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, yeah. There's no case to be made for that. I I don't know if some people would say mm. that, but it's not that. <laughs> and they there there are very clear uh, cues. Uh, he answers the phone right after he leaves frame. Uh, she calls her husband, and mm-hmm. her, when she's with Adam at his workplace, he he stands up and leaves, right? And she calls her husband, and mm-hmm. the phone is answered right after he's out of view, a, a millisecond after he's out of view. You never see the two of them together with anybody else. You only see the two of them together. When they meet, bizarrely, they meet in a hotel room, which is a very strange place to meet. Why would they meet in a hotel room? Because nobody sees them. The same the same one that he takes, the, the paramour, uh, 
the 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 French Canadian to like so when he the breezeway in yeah so when he takes his girlfriend on a little vacation or a little romantic getaway he takes her to that same, same motel where they met yeah interesting so. uh, and <clears throat> yeah so it's pretty clear that this is but it's not to say that he's a sort of uh, it's a fight club situation where there's this imaginary guy who's punching him in the face it's not that either this is probably a story about what goes on deep in the psyche of some men who are in a serious relationship about to have a baby. That's, I think that's what this is. And so it doesn't really matter that it's it, the, the line between real, not real, I think is kind of irrelevant. That sometimes yeah. upsets me when a film is presented as, oh, this is a really interesting story like Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, actually, it was none of it was real. It's a fantasy. Ah. Or a Sucker Punch. Ah, they're just dreaming. Why would you tell a story like that? Because mm. you're sort of just saying gotcha at the end. But this isn't yeah. like that. This is from the beginning trying to tell a story about the psyche mm. of this type of person. And it's not about, it doesn't have to be about, you know, what this is real and this is not real. Yeah. It's not important. Yeah. And it, it seems like <clears throat> it's uh, the, the lines between the fantasy and reality in this movie are net. They're not really clear cut. There's never a move made to let you know that this is reality and this is not reality. And it's, yeah. it's great, but yeah, it, it kind of exists in that dream consciousness state where, uh, good, good myth, good stories affect effective and moving stories come from. And so, I don't know about you, but I had no hangups about that. I, right from the start, the tone, Maybe it was the yellowness just sort of immediately accepted that it's not important. I wasn't trying to figure out, oh, this must be real and this must not be real. I wasn't even trying to figure yeah. that stuff out because it that would be a waste of time. We probably wasted too much time establishing it in the conversation. Jeez, I feel guilty. Well, what if we um, start with maybe, um, unless you were going to bring up a question specifically. I was going to ask you, I was going to start okay, with yeah, the, the anima. Uh, we're going to start with that. Yeah. How the, um, yeah. Why don't we Why don't we get into that? Because we've talked about what that means. So. Yeah, and we can break down sort of those big Jungian archetypes. So anima, shadow, and then the mother stuff. We talked about and, what that means. So let's it's now sort of relate it to the, the film. Yeah. So uh, if we're gonna start with anima, I, shadow, I, container, contained. I kind of yeah I want because I want to start with the collective unconscious to kind of establish that we're talking about Jungian ideas because it's also the first scene in the movie. So in that first scene in the movie, we've got Jake Gyllenhaal's character, <clears throat> which, if you watch it, that character has the wedding ring on. So I don't know if that's before the separation with the or the estrangement from the wife, or if it's so is it Adam or is it Anthony? When he's left hand, when he's uh, when he's down here in the basement, yeah. So, um, so anyway, first scene, would it would it be like they're kind of separated? They're living apart. Are they? Well, uh, Adam's living in that apartment, and the mother calls at the beginning and says, right, "Thanks for showing me a new place." Oh yeah. Anyway, yeah. Let's not get hung up on that stuff. We just <laughs> yeah. do that. <clears throat> so it starts off. Uh, there's a phone call from the mother and there's a pan, a pan over of the city. And, and then we see a, a really quick image of Adam's Adam Anthony's wife naked 
on the bed and she's pregnant. So we've got two mother images to begin with. And then immediately we go to this scene of what I think is the collective unconscious where Adam Anthony, Jake Gyllenhaal is walking in this subterranean corridor and he goes, he has this key in his hand and he goes and he unlocks this door. And when he goes in, that's when we get to the, the weird fetish sex club. And what happens in there is there's this woman on a chair and she's masturbating and there's all of these sort of older men sitting around watching it. They're not participating at all. They're just watching this thing happen. And then Mm. Adam comes in. With great fascination. Yeah. And they're very sort of somber. They don't really show excitement or disdain, pleasure, pain. They just, right. Somber doesn't No, I would say, I would say they're completely absorbed in it, but not in a way, not in a sort of frivolous uh, you know, it's not a it's not a ping pong show in Thailand. It's uh, it's not like that. It's it's a it's somehow a, it's a much deeper act that they're watching, and they're completely yeah. in it. But maybe it's not registering on their faces because it's happening far below the surface of facial expression. Yeah, and it seems to be what I what I took it as the thing they're watching is what they they are men who have never they've they've kept this idea of what feminine, the feminine is, what feminine sexuality is, and they've, they've never really interacted with it because it's at a distance. So they don't have any intimate knowledge of this thing that they've idealized. And so... Idealized? Well, it seems like what... In, they have a conception that, of it. Idealize is, is... Idealize tells me that they have some sort of reverence for uh the feminine i don't see it like that it's more Mm. uh disdain for true the true feminine and uh objectification of certain aspects of the feminine and uh, anyway anyway continue yeah and i i said ideal because it's sort of it's sort of their dark subterranean ideal it's not correct it's not Mm. it's not complete for sure it's just one aspect that's totally divorced from the a complete idea of feminine so and it, it it seems like the reason why we've got all these old older guys down there is that this is sort of an ancient idea it's existed for a long time and the people that are still beholden to it tend to be i i guess i don't know maybe older men who have never experienced it who have never had to confront reality hmm. And so, and it seems like, well, then why is our, why is our hero there? Well, maybe the track of his life is grooming him to become yeah. one of the other men in that circle. He's an initiate of sorts. Yeah. And so we see him go and he join these guys watching this charade and this, this sort of, not charade, but this thing happened in front of them. And then sort of a ritual happens where two women walk out, one of them disrobes, the other one puts a silver tray on the ground removes the cover and the spider crawls out and then the foot fetish comes in where we've got this the naked woman she puts her shoe on top of the spider like she's going to crush it and the shot it's a stiletto yeah it's a it's a big ass stiletto (laughs) and so and the shot yeah she's got it in her hand and she's just gonna whack it yeah um (laughs) that is the wrong image 
And the shot we see is... It's very methodical, very, very, uh, as you said, sort of ritualistic. Yeah. And, and the shot we see of her, we never see their faces in... They're, they're nev- the, the females in this scene are never given sort of an identity, a right. face, eyeballs to connect with. They're always in shadow or obscured. And the shot we see of the woman with the stiletto is from the ground, and we see it up as though she's a giant woman in a... a and she's going to crush this spider. And I think that that female is the anima, is this, you know, all these guys are projecting their sort of ideal, how they how they idealize or conceptualize mm. the female. And so all of the females on stage are the, the anima and they're crushing spiders. And the spider image is, uh, comes in later as, representative of the mother the homemaker there yeah and and the real the real person right right the real the real wife the real mom the the real woman so it seems like in this sort of collective unconscious world the anima crushes reality crushes the what is envisioned as a spider does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It makes total Do you sense. Agree? Oh yeah, I pretty much. I pretty much agree, hundred percent. I, I, there's one point I, I I disagree with, but basically, it's just the simplest way that you could sort of create an image that's then going to play out in the film, right? It's sort of saying this is the image to keep in mind. All right, and then now let's watch it play out as a story, and that's mm-hmm. exactly that's exactly how it goes. Um, you have this limited not infantile, but limited, immature concept, uh, an undeveloped concept of what, what... So the anima here is not... is not womanhood. It's this picture that's sort of developed, however it's developed, in a way that's has large sections carved out of it, large, large sections of what a woman really is carved out of it. Right. There's, uh, the, 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 you know, the the um, as I mentioned, the scene toward the end that that part of sexuality is not there. It's a more object uh, objectification sort of sexuality. Uh, these women are naked and that's about it. They don't have faces. Doesn't matter what their faces are. They've got they've got a body. They're naked. That's that's part of what it is. And maybe there's a bit of a dominatrix thing there as well. I'm not quite sure. But anyway. It's very limited. And then very clearly that thing then has to destroy the thing that they don't quite recognize is the thing they hate. Maybe they haven't thought through about what characteristics they hate, but it is their their wives. It's the thing that their wives maybe represent this 50-year-old banker who feels mm-hmm. constrained by all the responsibilities of of life by never achieving his dreams and having to be forced to get a job in the bank when he was 23 because he got his girlfriend pregnant and her father <laughs> made him get married to her and now he has three kids and you know she nags him all the time and that sort of story yeah. that always plays out in marriage in this sort of modern landscape is now sort of crunched down into a single image which is the spider so it's my favorite thing about women the anima smashing all of these things that i can't quite pinpoint i don't know what they are but i know that that spider represents it whatever it is okay there's a point there that you mentioned that i I, maybe we can clarify though so throughout history 
the concept of responsibility has always been attractive, right? I mean, if you're a if you're a powerful man, I want to have sons. I want have, I want them to carry my family name. I want to have children, right? Uh, uh, not that men and women have always been on equal footing, but the concept of starting a family is something that you rush into, something that is an obvious next step. When there's a clear uh, myth within your culture that sort of guides the way, this is what you do next. Now it's time to have a family. Yes, I will take on that mantle. I will provide for my family. I will be a hunter and I will feel pride in that. But I think that this is more sort of a commentary on the modern landscape, maybe the lack of a myth hmm. as a way to say, I must remain in this sort of stage just before I take the mantle of responsibility because hmm. now responsibility to me represents a loss of freedom represents a loss of my a loss of my uh, ability to do whatever i want right and somehow that's now a virtue whereas maybe throughout history in small tribes when you know all of the rituals and traditions that a tribe has that would encourage you to become a respected elder maybe eventually now those are no longer there we disdain you know okay boomer we disdain the elderly <laughs> right we have disdain for the or elderly so there's no incentive to move in that direction and so you know, I have to have a, a, a midlife crisis now, and I have to go back. I have to revert to the the childish, uh, I want a race car type of thing where, you know, the cool guy, the guy is a, got a motorcycle. He's an actor, a cool motorcycle helmet and a motorcycle jacket, and he has a foot fetish. This is a picture <laughs> of someone who hasn't, who's afraid to perforate the, uh, the um, sort of the boundary between immature and adult mm. right and so that's mm. what i see as the source of the projection as it were the thing sort of in the subconscious that creates this anima is this nine-year-old who is unable to accept the mantle of responsibility but maybe it's because there's something wrong with responsibility in sort of the modern mm. the modern world you know maybe it's not completely his fault maybe it's something wrong with the whole culture, right? Does that make sense? Sure, yeah, and maybe maybe there's something to the idea of, you know, there's a lot of shots of Toronto, just the the uh, <clears throat> the camera panning over these sort of gloomy images of Toronto, and that's, you know, uh, the symbol of um, just civilization versus mm -hmm. looking at the woods, which is chaos and mystery. Right. So, uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about it. I didn't your question about the commentary on modernity and the lack of rituals and stuff. I hadn't thought about it that way. That, yeah, it's well, cool. Just because you, I mean, you were saying that this is something that was old and passed down, right? So the older guys represent the sort of sure. a previous tradition. And I was thinking, does it though? Because maybe in very recent history, maybe in the last 100 years, but in the last 3000 years, I don't think that's been the case. I mean, obviously, women have been yeah. treated as people who must stay at home and be mothers and, and wives, and that's a different, I think, a different conversation. But this is uh, a sort of distortion of mm. what it means to be, to, to be part of a, a society, which is to be proud to become a father, to be proud to take responsibility, to be proud to move to the next stage of life. I think that's been normal. Yeah. Now it's not. Now none of us want that. <laughs> well, yeah, I think maybe... <clears throat> maybe what I was thinking is it's what they're showing in that basement is an archaic fault, an archaic mm. 
sort of uh, you know in in the past, yeah, in in the, in the past, like that idea, that conception has always existed as far as the anima goes. If you've got this mistaken idea or mistaken ideal of what you think the feminine or female is all about, and then, like you said, in cultures in the past, there's been a way to sort of circumvent falling into that ditch or that right. trap of mm. misconceiving what reality is. Um, but it, that that is something that human beings have always had to deal with. <clears throat> so it's just an old idea right. that but, all these guys are still participating in. But Yes, but maybe a distortion of the initiation ritual. Because before, mm. and we both have read uh, masks of God now before the initiation the initiation ritual is the thing that stamps on you the power of your your culture's trajectory <clears throat> and that's what makes you the responsible adult the Australian tribes <clears throat> where you go through that <clears throat> horrifying period of time where you su survive on the blood of other men in the tribe that initiates you to the positive aspects of masculinity and that is responsibility or whatever it might be the thing, the things that are sanctioned in the tribe, whereas this is de it depicting an initiation of uh, the midlife crisis. Like, join us in this midlife crisis. We we stay this way for a lot forever. You know what I mean? Welcome, welcome <laughs> to the secret, welcome. the secret cult of men, like the, the old secret nine -year -olds society club. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, yeah. We well, all have cool motorcycles. And do you remember the other part of that Australian initiation ritual? Is the sub incision? which right. the sub-incision was a, uh, if you don't... Let's not spend for, too much time talking about it because it's gross. Yeah, yeah. it's basically um, one of the big events in this initiation ritual in these Australian tribes is uh, for the boys, they get this cut uh, underneath, uh -huh. like on the bottom of their, <laughs> on the bottom of their uh -huh. scrotum. And I think what, what I remember Campbell talking about is... Isn't the and bottom took, of, their, of their penises? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Underneath yeah. the shaft, I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> so, my, fav my favorite. <laughs> talk uh, about a Baja blast. Yeah. So, the, um, but uh, the idea, I, what I took out of that idea is that then with th the boys would always have this visual reminder of their participation and, and they're being made up of also female so it's, it's almost like womb. it's a male. Yeah, it's their male womb, right? It's like a male vulva, I guess. Male vulva, yeah. And you, and you see that, and it's a reminder of your connection, integration, and participation with the other half, the, like the feminine, the right. female part of the tribe. And I think after that ritual, that's when. So during that ritual, the men are always separated from the women, and then they come back to be integrated back with the the females. But they as come well. back transformed. Yeah, physically. So the the membrane, sure. the the maybe the the so so that's sort of like that initiation is passing through this membrane, and as soon as you pass through the membrane, when you return to the to the tribe to normal life, everyone yeah. sees that you've passed through the membrane, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone knows. Yeah. But maybe it's that the membrane has grown so thick that we we perceive the membrane as an impenetrable wall, at, you know, in sort of the. Uh, maybe the, the 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 landscape now is to hold up the motorcycle as the the height of what it means to be a cool guy you know what I, mean? I keep going back to that picture but it, it i think that kind of captured it this when i saw you know in that that shot of him on his motorcycle with his helmet i laughed out loud it's so perfect as a symbol for this 
this guy who can't see what it means to really move to the next stage of life he is sort of in this stasis where in the movie yeah. her uh there's a there's a there's a sort of transformation process or growth and here it's a doubling down on this sort of stage where you're not able to move through the membrane and you just sort of remain where you are forever it happens once mm -hmm. it happens again and it's going to keep happening and now you're you're sort of getting deeper and deeper into it and nothing around you tells you that it's wrong other than your broken relationship with your spouse yeah and so in those a lot of those initiation rituals the idea is that you go it's like a second birth you go back into the womb to be reborn but the thing that happens to you in the womb is this transformative process and when you come back you come back your birth from the womb as being transformed so there's that kind of thing i think i'm not sure that what he experienced i mean it, you could call it a womb in the sense that that underground scene is it's secluded from reality the outside world and influence i think what seems to be going on there is rather than growing it's sort of that stasis yeah that sort of uh psychological of masturbation of self-pleasure and all that so um it's a solidification of uh that state whatever it is is sort of allowing yeah. it to sort of calcify like this mm -hmm. is this is normal. It's okay if you were doing that on your own and everyone else was different. You'd say, "Oh my God, you know, I, I can't. I should, I should just get over it and accept the responsibility, you know, and, and yeah. be be the breadwinner or whatever I have to be for my family." Rather, this is a sort of looking around and seeing, "Oh, there's, there's a bunch of other guys around him around here who are just like me." Cool. Yeah, yeah. and then I the creepy dude in the guy. elevator. Yeah, and then the guy in the elevator. I want to come back to that. But, I gotta go back. Uh, yeah. It, it, do you think he has any particular meaning when you were watching it again? Did you notice anything, or is he just a reminder that this place exists? So, he plays kind of two roles in the first. So he's actually in the first shot when uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is going to the underground place. He Jake is holding the key, and the elevator guy is behind him. So he's going and unlocking the door for himself and the elevator guy. It's the same actor. And then we get later in the sh in the movie to the elevator scene where then the elevator guy has the key for Jake Gyllenhaal, but go not going into the underground scene, but he's going into mm. the apartment. So very interesting. Yeah, yeah, and and the and the whole blocking and or orchestration is the same we've got right. jake gyllenhaal in the foreground and then the the elevator guy in the background always sort of obscured we never see his face he's just sort of this kind of creepy desperate dude creepy desperate bro yeah 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 I, that's Man. good I, I didn't notice that sort of the opposite that's interesting yeah uh, i want to i wanted to ask about uh, i want to get to the uh, the shadow and container and contain in a second, but I wanted to ask about the other depictions of the spider. So mm. there's the first one, the real tarantula, in the scene at the beginning, and they step on that one. Then there's the scene at the end where she shrinks up against the corner, uh, as we talked about. And then there's another, there are two others. There's one where you see the spider sort of over Toronto. It's a yellow sky and it's over Toronto. And then, and then the other time, uh, I think it's just a random 
clip, isn't it? Somewhere in the middle where you see a woman walking down the hallway with a tarantula head. Now, do you think those are just reminders that we are, hey, this movie is happening. This is pretty much uh, uh, about this guy's psyche. It's not real. Don't worry about it. Uh, I think that's what the yellowness is sort of meant to do, sort of to make it subdued and make sort of reinforce the idea that it, it don't worry about the the factual reality of this movie. Don't worry about what's real and what's not. This is kind of a movie about the subconscious of this this person. Uh, that was sort of a reminder. But I don't know if you got anything more out of out of the fact that there's that spider over the city. It's a very cool image, but yeah, talk about that. Yeah, I think that is representing his idea of the mother figure Mm. uh, because we see it in connection with his wife who is becoming a mother. We see at the end when she sort of, uh, uh, so she was out for a walk. So, huh? (laughs) What? (laughs) She was out for a walk. That's why you can see her above above the city. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, just taking a stroll. Kaboom, kaboom. The, the last shot is of the spider in the apartment, which is connected, which is connected to Jake Gyllenhaal's wife in the movie. So we know that he sees his wife, who is also a mother, is a mother to be as a spider. Why is this? And then, why are spiders mothers? I mean, why is that the depiction? Maybe we can talk about that. Yeah. So I, um, I think I'm going to mention it in just a second. You think you are. All right. I, I think, think you so. should. Why don't you just do it? I could spontaneously combust, but let's let's wait it out. Um, yeah, I'm completely. Uh, there's no harm to me if you do that. So I think that would be right. cool if that happened. Get lots of That's, views. Man spontaneously combusts on Skype. Check yeah, it out. Yeah, and uh, thanks, Bill Gates. You broke it. Um, <laughs> the uh, so then the other mother spider is we see that spider over the city after he goes after Jake Gyllenhaal goes to visit his mother. So he's having that conversation with his mom about. Um, oh, is that when yeah. it happens? Yeah, he's like, you know, I saw this strange man in a hotel room, and we looked the same. She's like, did you take your pants off? No, I didn't take my pants off. Well, then you don't know you're the same. It's basically her. She's trying to dismiss this idea that you there's two of you. There's no way you have right. a brother. Um, and then after that conversation, we see the image of the spider above the city. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like we know that the association is there. And then on top of that to confirm that the spider is associated with the mother is that the style of the CG spider in the movie is the same as that styling of the spider sculpture that I sent you that there's, there's, I forgot where the original one was made, but it's Louise Bourgeois, I think is her, is the sculptor's name. Mm-hmm. And I saw it in Bilbao when I was there in front of the Guggenheim. <clears throat> it's huge. It's this giant, sculpture you can walk underneath it you can find pictures of it and the name of it is mama Mm. which is french m-a-m-a-n and it means like mommy Mm. and so there's that the uh, this idea of the spider as a mother did you look into the backstory about why that's called mama i I did yeah on that yeah yeah so the sculptor her mother was a seamstress and a weaver and they, I think it said that the, the sculptor's mother was a professional tapestry restorer. So we've got this idea of weaving and protection, motherhood, and all this stuff sort of wo- you know, woven together. Um, <laughs> and nice. 
Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> the 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 the. Oh, and if if I could, you can finish, finish off the thing. Ah, oh, crap. So the the idea, and then so then the idea of mother as protector, and also weaver. Uh, there's this idea of women and and mothers weaving life together, which weaving the threads of man together, and then also cutting the cord, unweaving things, um, which is in that painting Atropos or Atropos that I, I sent you. It's a painting, one of the black paintings by Francisco Goya, and you've got these three, the three fates, these three figures that are all female figures that are all weavers. And the idea is that they weave man's fate together. And then the last part of that is uh, Eliotti talks about female secret societies generally involving uh, weaving. Mm. So there's that. And, And you think of the female secret society and weaving versus in this movie as a counterpart to the secret society of the men in this movie where they go underground and have their right. animal rituals and yeah. stuff. So anyway, that's a spider idea that I, I, I went had. to a, I went to a coffee shop the other day and there were, uh, there was a long table and I was behind the long table and I was, uh, I, I ordered a smoothie and there was a group of women there and they were all crocheting and I had the same image like, okay, yeah. this is a group of ladies and they're they're crocheting, and they are sort of the opposite end of the spectrum from the the guys underground. They're they're both doing their own thing, right? Yeah. Um, the other thing <laughs> that I was I was doing a little uh, I was familiar with the story of Arachne before because there's a mm. there's a TED talk about it, um, which is pretty good. But it's just the story of this amazing weaver woman who was uh, she was very um, boastful of her talents she was famous for her weaving capabilities and then she because she was boastful she got the attention of uh, Athena and Athena challenged her to a weave off basically and it's a weave off it's a weave off and Athena you know summoned some some grass that she used to weave this crazy tapestry of the gods looking like you know really cool and this other lady, Arachne, they were they were jackets. they had their motorcycle jacks. All of the the Greek gods, they had <laughs> motorcycle helmets. They were they had um, they were drinking their Baja Blast Mountain Dew, <laughs> chalupas, <laughs> all of the above. Uh, Chasing cool, down and harassing all the red word, station wagons. In a word, cool. Yeah, station wagons. You had Poseidon there riding, uh, riding the waves in a station wagon uh, boat convertible. Very cool. Anyway, so she then did her tapestry. Arachne did her tapestry, and it was much better, but depicted the gods in a negative light, showed them as Mm -hmm. drinkers, showed them as uh, cruel, showed them as basically the other side of power, which they, they're they're negative idiosyncrasies. Sound like my kind of gods. So Athena was like, well, you win, but and she turned her into a spider, and she became the first spider. So now she is sort of the she is she weaves as uh, uh, a creative act but mm. because she's a woman she sort of represents the feminine but also i was reading uh that the hopi have a spider mm. as mm-hmm. the creator of the universe as sort of the mother of the universe and the the picture that you sent of that sculpture it looks like she has a clutch of eggs under her as well is that is that accurate is that a yeah clutch? Is i that think a... she's pregnant yeah yeah 
Well, and also if, it, if her name, if it's, if that's, if the name of the statue is French for mommy, then, you know, I th- yeah. yeah, those aren't cheese those balls. Are some, uh, those are some unbelievable stories he told. Yeah. Um, you want to get back to, you want to get back to the container contained. So do you think that those concepts apply to this? We were talking about, if you haven't seen her or a discussion about her, the other podcast, check that out. But we talked about how the, um, there's a relationship between a man and his wife. She uh, is kind of still developing, and then she she eventually sort of transcends her husband's concept of her or what it means to be married to her, and they have to get a divorce because he's unable to sort of accept that the con- the contained has uh, expanded beyond the container. Right? He's he was the container. Then it happens again where uh, the main character has a new relationship with an OS, with an artificial intelligence, she starts in a sort of, uh, not childlike state, but less developed state, and then she quickly transcends him. And going back to this movie, there's this, there's this quote from Karl Marx where a, a, a terrible event happens twice or a, a, a tragedy a, a tragedy in world history happens twice something like this it's a great world events great great world events happen twice the, and then and then Karl Marx comments the first time it's a tragedy the second time it's a farce so in mm-hmm. her the tragedy is that he wasn't able to accept that his wife was sort of exceeding him and it resulted in the collapse of their relationship the second time it became a learning moment for him, and he became a better person because of this sort of uh, 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 person being transcending him. Right? He, he, there's a good ending to that story. He becomes somehow a more capable adult. Right? Yeah. In this movie, it's the exact opposite. Where at the end, when he finds the key, and he says to his wife, who's in the other room, "I'm going to go out tonight." He has sort of he's sort of tried to solidify the peace at home with his domestic sort of uh, situation, and then immediately relegates that to a small <clears throat> box in his life rather than the you know the main purpose of his life, and doubles down on this whole journey that we've just taken, where he's you know tried to get out of this. The thing, the way to get out of it would be to see the events of this movie and Anthony as this sort of immature character who has this limited concept of what it means to be a, a, a grown man who can't accept the, the idea that he's about to have a baby and that it's going to ruin his freedom and he'll have to sell his motorcycle and buy a red station wagon. And the, the learning moment would there be that actually there's something more beautiful about being a man who's involved in your family and who has the the genuine love of your wife who has a sexual side and that sexual side can be exciting just as exciting as whatever you think this sexuality is the sort of the stiletto lady sexuality is that this this is maybe even far beyond that that this person mm-hmm. who you're in a relationship with has maybe depths that you haven't even begun to explore you you you, you've just started to open your mind to this that there is this image of femininity that's 
far beyond what you've ever known before, and you're about to yeah. step into this new world. Instead, instead of stepping through that, he steps he steps back and says, "No, no, I'm going to do it again." So the second time, then refusing to learn becomes the farce. If yeah, that makes sense. That's yeah, we can kind of see that he's accepted that this is going to happen again. That yeah, the far, now now comes the farce mm. part of it, and <clears throat> I think it might be helpful to explain Anthony. So Adam is sort of the the hero who is interacting with Anthony, but in reality he is Anthony. Uh, right. And so Anthony is Tyler Durden. Right. Yeah. So motorcycle guy is the shadow, and so right. it might be helpful if we kind of walk through that Please a do. little bit. So, and I noticed a couple of things on the the last watch through that are pretty pretty interesting. So, uh, again, the shadow is uh, watch her if you, if you haven't been exposed to the idea of the, the shadow film. not not just the nearest female <laughs> yeah it's not helpful yeah. don't do it trust me yeah. um so watch her that's a great and then especially watch the discussion that we had about it because we break it down i think we go through it pretty well but to simplify very well it, if i do say so uh i think just to simplify it here the shadow is whatever part of ourselves that we've sort of had to repress growing up and sort of deny ourselves and so it remains a sort of pushed away part of our psychology that uh, is always still trying to get out is still trying to find expression but because of our own responsibilities or the traditions we're brought up in we're saying no you can't do that I, I can't i can't be cool motorcycle guy because i gotta be responsible or i can't i can't be a pianist i, I just want to sing dad or, or anything like you know monty python-esque because you've got to become the king something like that but um but the shadow is always trying to erupt into consciousness and find expression. And the healthy way to allow that to happen is to integrate the shadow, is to not repress it and deny it, but to look it in the face, have compassion for it, and then to integrate it. Not to and, annihilate it in a car crash. Yeah, and I think that's why he's going to go through the same cycle again because, uh, because he doesn't. rather than integration. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so in the movie here, we've got cool motorcycle guy as the shadow because he's uh, and we 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 have some clues as to why or to confirm that he's a shadow. So one of them is when he's having the conversation. To be clear, uh, you're talking just so people are aware of this. It's the concept of the Jungian shadow, not mm -hmm. a, not a real shadow. It's the idea of uh, a part of your psyche that's called the shadow. Look it up. Yeah, <laughs> look it up. Do some work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't make us do everything. This is, this is not a show for nine-year-olds with motorcycles. Right. The initiation episode was in the last one, so you should yeah. know it yeah. by now. Yeah. No, that um, was the Joker one. That was the yeah. right or the True Detective one. So what was it? Yeah. So anyway, um, one of the ways we know that Anthony, motorcycle guy, is the shadow is because when Adam the history teacher guy goes to visit his mother like right towards the end his mother says like look basically you should grow up and stop messing around with all this stuff you know yeah, you're having enough actor. yeah don't don't and, and i think you should drop that dream of becoming a third-rate actor and adam kind of like what and so that's our clue that anthony is actually adam and then another one it's is a little too is, obvious and by the way you love blueberries the blueberry thing was a little too 
in your face. Like, yeah, yeah, all right, I got it with the, the actor thing. The blueberry thing is a little too much. Yeah, she's like, and, and those blueberries, eat those. And so, which does kind of set her up as kind of a dictator, don't you think? Yeah, maybe. So, um, and then another, another, there's another part in the movie where Adam, towards the end, when Adam is, has put on, the, has entered the apartment of Anthony, has put on the clothing and everything, he sits down and he's, he's reading this magazine, it's called Cycle Magazine, all right, and then he gets up and he walks over to the bookcase. Is it a unicycle at, magazine or? Yeah, there was a clown with uh, juggling, you know, Mountain Dew cans, and when he gets up to go look at the the bookshelf, there's all these books about history and dynasties and uh, yeah, sort of, that. yeah, it's like Canadian history. Uh, there's one called the art of Canadian peace. history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Ridiculous. Like, uh, well, well, specifically, specifically uh, Canadian soldiers in World War Two. Mm. So then we come back to that uh, fascism and dictatorship idea. And one of the books is called uh, Christ to Coke. And I looked it up and it's about imagery and symbolism and sort of that kind of stuff. So it's it's like the director is putting the director you know, is all trying the... to speak to you directly. Uh, yeah. This. I got to make sure I get that in there. Got to clue him in. Um, yeah. And so anyway, then we get the idea that, OK, so this is the home of maybe a history teacher, but he's got kind of this side project of, mm. man, I wish I had a fast motorcycle. I wish I had this. So we know that Adam is, in fact, Anthony. Anthony's just sort of the shadow part that the wife maybe has been living with for so long. And I, there, I mean, that's that's an understandable part of the... I mean, think about someone like um, Alexander the Great, who was kicking ass at age 21 i mean he the the incredible things that certain figures in history did i think really represents the i don't know if it's specifically a masculine thing but i mean traditionally it's sort of the um have children who carry your name that is a way to live forever and show your feel like you've you know you've accomplished something there is something about achievement accomplishment uh, a competitive nature um uh gaining territory being alexander the great and conquering the world by age 26 there's something about that that i think has sort of been grandfathered in in our era which is which is you are supposed to stick with the status quo you're supposed to go to college and then you get a job and then you try to get promotions and then you try to get more promotions. But everybody knows that for a lot of people, that existence doesn't have a lot of meaning. And it, it leads to mid-level managers who spend most of their time in the office watching YouTube videos or whatever. They, 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 they don't have this sort of burning Alexander the Great Ian drive to conquer, right? But it's still there but it has to be sort of then it has to pop out elsewhere. It has to maybe uh, take the form of this this dream that I once had to be an actor or this 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 uh, whatever it is, any sort of side project of I want to be recognized. I want to be special. I want to achieve something that whatever that drive is, I think that's there. And I think it's a totally natural thing. 
it's something that we probably all have in part. And maybe the the landscape around us, the social landscape around us kind of discourages it. And so it's more likely to create uh, uh, these sort of, not childish, but unexplored paths. We don't explore them. We don't take those roads because they're unsanctioned and we have responsibilities. So it's not to say that, you know, there should be sort of blame placed on this character as this sort of man-child. But -hmm. at the same time, at the same time, he doesn't really have the ability to see uh, what his next mature step should be because for whatever reason, his vision is clouded. He can't see through it, right? Did Did you notice uh, there's a couple of times when we see it, but when he's walking home from work, there's this uh, the street art, these st- spray-painted stencils of this businessman in revolt. Like he's got his fist up in the air as though he's... It's a bunch of business, you know, suits, a bunch of suits, like, in revolt. Mm. It's kind of going along with the theme of dictatorship and revolt and visually portraying what's going on in his mind. Like, the sh- he, something is in revolt. The shadow is in revolt against him. Or, like you were saying, uh, the things we have to push away want to get out. They want to revolt against the things that have pushed them away. Right. Um, and going along with that, just the the shadow thing um the foot fetish i want to yeah mention that as part of it so yeah um i was doing a little reading about it and i don't know this for a fact but it seems like a lot of fetishes pop out of early childhood uh mm-hmm. the thing that is associated with something that happens in early childhood nothing sexual necessarily but when the sex drive develops it has this sort of thing from early childhood kind of tacked onto it right Mm. and so that in a lot of people plays out as a a foot fetish um uh everyone knows that mine is a red red station wagons um and yours is a baja blast mountain dew uh when you see people pouring a baja blast i know watch out yeah (laughs) Yeah. but a lot of deck (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but this the foot the foot fetish is i think just reinforcing the it's reinforcing the shadow that this is a part of maybe himself that he this is the this is the part that belongs to the shadow and this is why it's connected to uh when he sees the girlfriend on the bus he looks at her feet uh and why he's the one who goes to the club and why that's the thing that crushes the spider that is associated with Anthony, the cool guy with the motorcycle, the nine-year-old, the undeveloped, the person who developed this sort of quirk, not to say there's anything mm-hmm. wrong with a foot fetish, it's fine, but to develop this quirk from infancy. And he is a person, in a sense, still with infantile traits, if that makes sense. Can I expand on that a little bit? Yeah, you can. <laughs> sure, I yeah, guess. if you want to. Uh, I got time. Um, so there are there are a lot of background imageries that are going on uh, to play to that point. And, and and first off, sort of the idea of imposing or big women, which is associated with the foot fetish. There's a documentary about uh, the artist Robert Crumb. Have you seen it? What's it called? It's called Crumb. Nope. You should. It's it's fan. Fantastic. It's so good. It, it's almost like 
a character study on specifically the shadow that we're talking about right now, all the foot fetish and the sort of larger than life women that in the larger than life idea of the feminine that we're talking about, like crumb is a, a real artist who is just, that's been his entire life. Uh, and there's a documentary by Terry Zweigoff and it's fantastic, but <clears throat> the idea of large and imposing women. So, uh, we already know that the mother, well, the first shot of the anima <clears throat> as the larger than life female crushing the real spider woman that we talked about earlier. So there's that we've got the visualization of the mother as the spider imposing above the city. You know, there's a scene where Adam goes to the video store to pick up a movie. And if you look at when he's at the counter talking to the guy, it's like he's talking with the guy and behind him on the wall, there's a poster attack of the 50 foot woman. Oh, that's interesting. So there's, yeah. And Very then, interesting. And then when a uh, cool guy, motorcycle guy follows the the girlfriend to work, there's these posters inside of the bank and they're all these women, giant women with their feet on all the buildings. Mm. It's sort of like taking control of the city and that kind of thing. There's a, there's That's a poster. Interesting. I didn't notice that. Yeah. And there's a poster inside of Anthony motorcycle guy's apartment and we see it when he's sleeping with his, his pregnant wife. And it's for the this 1957 film noir called Man Afraid. So the idea of this man being afraid of, of women, that it sort of it, 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 it inhabits the most intimate part of his being, the part he right. shares with his, with, his, with his wife. And I think the story of that movie isn't really male-female related, but it's just there's this word. The words are right there behind him, you know, right. Man Afraid. Um, and then in that That's same good shot, filmmaking. yeah, yeah, it is. the same in that shot where motorcycle guy follows the girlfriend to work when <clears throat> there's a shot where you see, uh, the girlfriend is in the foreground sitting at a desk working. And then there's Adam or Anthony sitting outside. And in that shot, the way that, that it's framed she's very large and he's very small and he's also contained within like the crook that her posture, like the crook force, of her yeah, arm, the force perspective it, makes him look like a tiny person being crushed. Yeah. Again, big woman genius. Small. I didn't notice yeah. that. That's great. I'll have to go back it's, and watch it. It took me four times. So yeah. that's pretty cool. I want to look out for those things the next time I watch it and all to the point of, of the male psyche feeling trapped by the homemaker, the mother, the weaver. <laughs> yeah, the, the other human being that he doesn't understand that he hasn't yet equated himself with because he's still trapped by this infantile perception. Yeah. For what for whatever reason. I mean, Anthony's it, father isn't in the picture, so who knows if that if that's a, on purpose or not. Well, there is an absence there that's interesting. The the absence of a father is interesting. Uh, uh, it's interesting that there is when um she tries to interact with him i mean the girlfriend the mistress i guess she yeah. when she tries to interact with him Her. yeah there you go he almost <laughs> he he doesn't have he can't give her the he doesn't give her the time of day really mm. he's focused on what he's doing when she asks him a question he's kind of you know just grading papers or whatever he's doing he's he's he can't even give her the time of day so that sort of 
paints this picture, it helps to reinforce this very limited view, right, of what this is a completely sexual thing, and uh, everything else is is beyond his vision. He's sort of uh, in this landscape where a lot of things are obscured, and there's much more that's there. Mm -hmm. Toronto is there, but this yellow haze is sort of covering a lot of the buildings, and it's sort of like a video game. When you're, the when wires. It, when you're flying over a video a video game landscape, the the landscape creates itself as you as you go, right? It's kind of like that, except you have a, a computer with a, a pretty bad uh, uh, graphics processing unit, and and it it doesn't populate very very far outside of your sort of your diameter is limited, and so that's why I think that's why that that yellow haze over Toronto is is really interesting because Toronto is not a not a smoggy place. That's something that's yeah that's obviously in, in post and then the it, spider did, within the haze sort of walking around but kind of obscured and did you notice this is something that chris stuckman pointed out in his explanation but uh we also repeatedly see these the the tram wires in the city as though they're the the webbing the net that are yeah. controlling it and then right after he's leaving work after the first time he teaches class at the beginning of the movie, he's on, he's on the tram and he's on a track. He's on, it's like he's contained inside of this narrative that he can't get out of. Like his life is on track to finish out this, what will become a farce. It's this, well, it's, and and it's also the socially sanctioned track that is, that is preventing him from his more Alexander the great, maybe, uh, uh, thing that he would love to do with his life, but he can't because there are expectations and there are responsibilities and there are things you just do that are sort of sanctioned. Yeah. You, you're, you're a professor, you do certain things and you don't do other things, and that's the way it is. Why do you have aspirations to be an actor? What, you know, what's wrong with you? So the only thing that he has, yeah. which is sanctioned in a way, is his affair with this girl or other women, and then that is probably reinforced by this underground club, and those people probably do the exact same thing. So he feels like, okay, yeah. this is something that allows me to take out this this urge that I'm not able to express anywhere else, and I can see a few people around me at least who do the same thing, so it's all right. Yeah, and, and maybe I think that would be a good segue into talking about the idea of dictatorship and yeah, and yeah, that whole theme in the movie and control. So um, let's, well, let's I think let's well, let's tie it together dictatorship, control, and marriage i think those okay. th- those things are very much related there's some purposeful messaging there i think in the movie i mean why it is why is it that that he talks about yeah right. um so you i think you you can start with your your interpretation of that control at least. yeah sure um yeah i mean you're the married guy right well I, yeah, I can so yeah you'll have the authority on that we're one. not married i'm, I'm married <laughs> to someone else Right. Um, so the dictatorship thing, it, it just seems like his, to me, it seems like his conception of marriage is a dictatorship. His conception of the, of a mother, of what a mother is, is controlling because mm. his mom, she, I think she's kind of controlling the way that she talks to him and sort of demands things of him. It doesn't seem she kind of cuts him off in his sentences and says, you know, eat, you know, you're having tr- enough trouble sticking with woman, one woman, eat those blueberries, drop your third rate actor dream. Uh, so she seemed, whereas his wife, she doesn't really elicit any dictatorial characteristics. She just seems like 
a sane human being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Especially at the end when she, you know, says like, come back, you know, like I want you to stay. And then the, but it doesn't matter though. Hmm? It doesn't matter because just like a, just like the foot fetish, you don't, you don't, you know, if that's imprinted somehow from infancy for whatever reason, so is the concept that you have about what womanhood means. Uh, uh, yeah, and mothers think, are are dictators. Okay, so that's the concept. And mm-hmm. even if the new, even if his wife doesn't exhibit those characteristics, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe maybe right. it's it's just like okay, well, this is what a mother is, though. So my image of exactly. that, sort of like how people have with a lot of a lot of anxiety issues. <laughs> there's nothing about the real world that's causing anxiety. Most anxiety issues are just because people don't know how to properly process reality so that yeah. the anxiety doesn't exist, right? Because there can be anxiety or no anxiety from that situation. It's the same thing maybe for him. The mother is the dictator. And so yeah. if that idea is in his mind, doesn't matter what his wife does or how she acts or how kind or understanding she might be, doesn't matter because mothers are dictators. And that's exactly, the. I, I totally agree 100%. That's the, that's the point, I think, is that he is projecting his feelings about his biological mother onto his wife who is now about to become a mother. Whereas the third woman in his feminine trifecta is the girlfriend. She's not a mother. She's just a single, you know, career professional human being, female in the world. And so she doesn't really. His wife is a 10 or nine and his girlfriend is like a seven. (laughs) I uh, I think they're both pretty hot. They're both pretty beautiful. Right. So, who am I? Um, who am I to say? Yeah, <clears throat> his mom is at eleven though. Let me tell you. Oh God! <laughs> I saw her drinking Baja Blast at a cafe one day. Ooh, mom. Forget oh, about man. it. Yeah. Ooh, mama. So oh, anyway, um, she uh, <laughs> um, but that's exactly the point: is that he's projecting what he the feelings he he the the things that he hasn't been able to integrate or undo that he feels towards his mom. He's now projecting towards his, his, his wife who's going to become a mother and versus his girlfriend, um, which is merely a sexual object. It seems that seems to be their, their dynamic. Um, she, see, I, I was trying to see if the idea of the anima having a dictatorship over him is another dictatorship. So we've got the, the, he views the mother as a dictator, but then in some ways is his anima kind of a dictator in the sense that the animal won't let him grow up to become Hmm. like an adult, you know, the responsible, maybe the combined, the combined anima and shadow, right? It's the anima plus the fact that when he's around his shadow, when he's around Anthony, his hands are shaking. He can't find yeah. his words because he's he, he he's acknowledging willingly the superiority of the other of the of the shadow. He's he's it yeah. it like puts him down on his knees. He doesn't know what to do. It's a dictatorship him. of the shadow. Yeah, and maybe a combined shadow anima sort of thing. <sighs> Combination of the girlfriend and Anthony together sort of cripple him. And he has a side of himself that may be ready for the next stage of life. But these two things 
they they don't allow it. It's already been imprinted. He's already been sort of the, his mold has already been punched out, and he's not. He doesn't have the capacity to for growth. Maybe. Yeah, and it seems, and and that would go back to that idea of that kind of protest art on the the graffiti on the wall with the businessman with his fist raised in the air like he's trying to protest his condition or at least there's an idea of there's the uh, the the cauldron is bubbling and the lid's on too tight it's got to explode these things have got to get out something has to change the the things that have been repressed are going to destroy the person they're inside of unless they're exposed and integrated and and maybe there's a container contain thing there as well but maybe in a sort of perverse way so um rather than his wife who seems like a very compassionate kind person with a lot of you know depth who she's not depicted in any any way negatively at all in the film um would be someone he could grow with as a person rather than her being the container and him the contained in any sort of uh, up-to-down way or a hierarchical way, he is projecting on himself the status of contained. Like, yeah. she's containing me. She's not. But he says to himself, I'm being contained, I'm being contained. I can't handle the... Uh, uh, the the totalitarianism of my marriage. If that, if that I can't sense. handle the pregnant women. Right, exactly. It's it, but it's it's something that is projected outward onto the world as though, as though you were in a uh, uh, you you were doing VR in a giant open warehouse, but when, because you're in VR, you, the walls are are sort of in your eyepiece, and you look around and you see all the walls, so you just accept them as there when in fact there's nothing there. And I think that's the case with. A lot of anxiety issues, people have anxiety because they project walls in places where no walls exist. And I think in, in, in a lot of marriage issues, people are projecting walls internally that don't exist. Yeah. I'm, I'm being contained by this woman who is going to force me to do A, B, and C, including responsibilities of fatherhood. And um, uh, there's no mention from his wife of, oh, you can't stop pursuing acting, right? There's no mention of that. Um but he's projecting probably something like that onto mm. her because his mother says things like that, right? So, and from personal experience, I think it, it does make a lot of sense. I can imagine being very frustrated as a married person in that sort of relationship. Uh, when I was thinking through the decision whether or not to get married, I was thinking about a couple of important things. The first one was... <coughs> Is this person going to, say, do something that's going to prevent me from wanting to express myself? The most important thing for me is doing my, kind of doing my own thing, right? Uh, working on my own projects, creating something on my own. And I, I, I just can't bear the idea of getting a regular job. When I was 25, I <laughs> promised myself. I was in a flight on the way to South Africa and I, I just sort of suddenly had this thought, I can never have a job again, and I never will. And since that time, I haven't, and I, mm. I hope I never do. And this was before I got married, and we had this long conversation, and I explained this. I want to, you know, build what I get. I want to get something that gives me, I want to do something that gives me purpose, and is that going to be okay? And if it, it's okay if you think that's not okay, but let's talk about it. And it was a real 
conversation that we had, a long conversation. Mm. And the basis, that conversation was the basis in part of the decision. And it wasn't just words, because in my, in my relationship, we, we are very supportive of each other's growth, right? Uh, you do your thing. I'm not going to tell you to go out and get a job. Uh, because you know, as long as there's some there's some money coming in, um, in some way, whatever, um, yeah. and we've supported each other. There have been times when uh, she was more su- supporting me, and there have been times when I was more supporting her. The first two years we got married, she wasn't working. I supported her, and then it kind of went the other way for a while. And it's really interesting to have that, but it comes from mutual respect and sort of acknowledging the other person as a partner rather than a container or whatever, some, some thing that's there to obstruct you. And, and so I think that, that sort of the experience in my own marriage is something I can use to compare with, this, with the person in this film as someone who's, because he's projecting these walls outward, is never going to escape this labyrinth that doesn't actually exist mm. in this case. I mean, it might for some wives, but but it it doesn't seem to be the case for this movie. It's a projection, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe of his of his shadow self or uh, whatever it is. Maybe from from his mother. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention about about marriage is the the conception of marriage as a place to fulfill all needs. And I think that that's another. I don't know if it's a it might be a, a bit of a critique of the modern marriage structure. Uh, it used to be in maybe some tribal societies or you know earlier in history, the the function of marriage had different functions, but it wasn't the sole source of meaning and satisfaction. Um, sort of the modern romantic Hallmark Channel conception of marriage is you're you're free, and then when you get tethered to this person, you're now bound to this person, and your happiness is derived entirely from this person. Your sexual needs, your intellectual needs, your emotional needs, whatever needs that you have will come from this person. Uh, It's probably time to find new friends, probably married friends now, instead of your your old uh, poker buddies. Now it's time to find new friends and sort of move into a new paradigm, right? This is sort of a, a, a modern idea of what it means to be to be married and so i think it might be sort of a critique of that that notion too because he has that idea of what marriage is or that idea sort of just is in the culture but but that's the cause of the the high rate of divorce because you can't derive all your meaning and all your purpose and all your needs and your happiness from family or your husband or your wife it's just not realistic it's not a realistic expectation you mm. don't get everything from that person it's never going to happen and so um maybe it's a it, to me it was kind of a, a subtle prescription for maybe a, a slightly more mature concept of what it means to be married not to say mm. cheating on your spouse is a good thing that's not what i mean i mean why do we have this concept of marriage being this totalitarian regime where you are stuck to this person this person is responsible for the money and you're responsible for making the money and, and these things are divided up in you know you get bread on tuesday and you get potatoes on thursday like uh you know like uh, maybe uh uh russia under lenin you know the bolshevik revolution they started doing the bread lines so anyway <clears throat> that's just that's just something that came to mind when i was watching the movie of this sort of half-formed probably yeah. Uh, uh, 
immature form of the concept of marriage, which probably needs to evolve. So carrying on with the idea of it being a dictatorship, he mentions that Rome figured out how to control the populace with bread and circus. And then he, when he's teaching class, he mentions, he mentions the bread and circus kind of thing. And then, you know, entertainment being the thing that distracts you from, uh, into, uh, self-expression and that kind of stuff. He mentions, um, after bread and circus censorship, uh, you can't like literature is suppressed and all that kind of stuff is just suppressed. So it's, it's almost, there's something about maybe the individual coming through and finding, uh, being able to, to complete, you know, integrating the shadows so that you become a complete individual within a society rather than just being a tool of the society or like a, 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 a gender rolled member of society. You're the man, you do this. You're the woman, you do this. Yeah. So, you know, like you talked about that, um, at one point, your wife was the provider, but then the other, at the other point you were the provider, like you were the ma- more major support, maybe financially, I don't know. And then at the other time, like she was more of the financial support, but that role of supporter was never confined to only the man, like we yeah. envision traditionally. So yeah, I don't know. I was trying to figure out how, where's the dictatorship in is it that the females in his life are the dictators or is it that his conception is the, his conception of those things is the dictator? Well, it's I, not that I the think, females are, it's that his conception is that his mind is the dictator. I think pointing, saying dictator points or, or makes it sort of about the person. It makes it about the Stalin. It makes it about the Pol Pot. Whereas if you just say totalitarianism, or okay. something like that, then you're focused on the way that it feels to live in something that, okay, it's been prescribed by a dictator, but you don't mm-hmm. interact with the dictator. You don't, you don't take commands directly from the dictator. You just live in this structure that is totalitarian. And so you get bread on Tuesday and potatoes on Thursday because that's <clears throat> been it. sort of, that's built into the structure. There's something wrong here because I want to eat potatoes on Monday too. No, you can't. You're just a number. You're just a uh, a collection of labels, and we the whoever sets the rules has set it up so that you need to fulfill functions X, Y, and Z in order to play your part. But that part doesn't happen to involve <coughs> any of the Alexander the Gradian tendencies that are innate in humankind, or at least that the drive to aspects. find the individual. Yeah, not yeah. not even male. The individual to find expression to find. Uh, to find meaning, to find purpose. So um, I think that's more what it is. I look at it more more as system-wide rather than pointing at a person, although his mother may represent a dictator too. Yeah, <clears throat> and I think with, when I think dictator in his case, it's it's his mind, because he's the whole movie is about his mind and his conceptions, it seems. So, um, and the idea of entertainment as distraction. Let me take a sip of water and I want to mention that because... Is it tonic water? Do you just drink tonic water? Are you afraid of getting... <clears throat> it's vodka. Who are we kidding? I would be the Alexander the Great of Stalinist Russia if I could pound 
pound vodka like a pound Baja. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the idea of entertainment, um, because I, I wondered if the way he, the way that the director juxtaposes sex with the him. So we hear when we, we hear, we hear him talking about his talking, teaching in his class about dictatorships and that kind of thing. And we see him having sex with his paramour, the anima. Yeah. I, I think it's her anima or his anima. And almost in the sense that sex is entertainment and a distraction from, well, in, in th- this way, like this way, it's a sexual relationship that's built upon only entertainment and maybe v- uh, vapidness um, there, there, in contrast to the more relational, maybe meaningful sex that he has with his, his wife at the end. So I don't, I mean, did you see that? Did that stick out to you at all? Sort of the... Mm. Because he's he's talking about entertainment and all that stuff being used by dictators to maintain control, and then we see him yeah. in this relationship, his interactions with his anima, his girlfriend, the paramour. Yeah, that that could that yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense. And um, it's a distraction from the meaningful process of individuation or getting outside of seeing women as dictators or mothers, mother motherhood or fatherhood as this dictatorial containing totalitarian system that you slot into right as though as though he were sort of um there's a there's a bigger reality out there but if you if you uh plug your ears and close your eyes uh then you can you can fool yourself into not seeing it and and that's what's played out when you're being entertained or you're watching a uh, gladiatorial games, or you're in this case maybe banging <clears throat> Quebecian uh, mistress. Is that, is that the right? Is that the right word? Quebecian? Is that a word? Uh, it might be Quebecois. I thought that's that, the name. That's the, that's the that's, language. That's the language. But is that the person? Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Um, who cares? <laughs> when, you, when you really think about it. <clears throat> yeah who cares when you don't know yeah who cares if i don't know something i don't care that's right uh so with so the idea of entertainment all right that would that i wanted to follow that thing a little bit because uh did you notice when he did you notice the name of the video store he goes to Mm-mm. i didn't it's notice called, a lot of these small things i i guess it, watch it three more times and then it'll be like oh yeah duh but uh it's called queen video mm-hmm so again, we've got sort of that uh, re- regal, the regal idea, king, queen, dictator, ruling, kingdom, powers, all that kind of stuff. But <clears throat> it was interesting to maybe think about the role of entertainment in this movie alongside the ideas of illusion, the feminine, uh, which we need to bring up that the the line that I told you about, which maybe connected this whole thing to Peterson a little bit. Yeah, we can talk about that. What, yeah, what that's the line. Uh, let's see. I got it written down. Let me get to it. Um, you know, man. when you when you pull that up, uh, the reflection on your glasses it looks looks like uh, it 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 makes me appreciate anime because. Often you see in anime, you see the guys with the, there. There are always those reflections on people's yeah. glasses. It looked just like that. Great. 
if any of you are listening yeah. to this and wa not watching, make sure to check this out on YouTube because uh, just for the reflection. Yeah, it's like I'm a I'm a nerd and a ghost in the shell. Yeah, it's like that. That's what it reminded <laughs> me of, actually. I I think it's um, man. So okay, just as okay, a little I... a little background here, uh, Matt pointed out earlier to me that this guy's a a college professor, uh, and he um, lives in Toronto. And this is about this is about Toronto, and he the the movie is clearly about sort of union, uh, uh, very s s things involving the psyche and 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 things that stunt maybe um, this man's development, and that's sort of the bread and butter idea of uh, Jordan Peterson, who was also a professor at I think the University of Toronto is yeah. Canadian at least I think he's in Toronto um yes yeah, University of Toronto University of Toronto and so there's the maybe possibility that uh it's based on him in a way or at least meant to evoke him <clears throat> and I was trying to find if the writer of the film not the book but the film was perhaps maybe as one of his students because he's the right age uh but I couldn't yeah. find I couldn't figure it out yeah, the screenwriter is from Spain, which the whole conversation about dictators and then the incorporation of the spider image, um, because that there's that spider is there's one of them. There's copies of it, but that sculpt that spider sculpture is in Bilbao in front of the Guggenheim. There, um, it's just you know a convergence and a confluence of a lot of coincidences, maybe. But the, the line is, so anybody who wants to check it out, you can listen to it at, I think the 18 minute mark is about where this starts. But Jake Gyllenhaal's character, Adam, goes back in to start teaching class. And when he's talking, it sounds like the stuff you've heard him say before, but then the audio starts to fade out. And if you turn it up and listen to it as the audio fades out, he says something to the effect of that a creative act of memory is a product of the feminine is always colored by emotion. So when I was listening to that, I was thinking, wait, 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 wait. That sounds like stuff that Peterson talks about yeah. all the time. He talks about male, feminine, order, chaos, uh, dictatorship, and all these things that we've been talking about <clears throat> just constantly. So it just seemed kind of interesting that this also takes place in Toronto. It's a, it's a build, it, the guy teaches, I think he's a history professor in the social sciences section of uh, the university. There's a sign that says social sciences in the movie. Um, I think it's a very good pro a possibility, a very good possibility. Yeah. And the director, he's French Canadian. So it doesn't. And then on top of all the Jungian, the, the emphasis on Jungian ideas and uh, Eliotian and Campbellian ideas, it's just, I don't miss too much for it not to be a yeah. more than a coincidence, but I agree. So the idea of, and not that that, creates or breaks the movie it stands on its own but the idea of entertainment and going back to queen video so uh in hinduism the goddess maya is the is the mother of illusion and she does three things she obscures the truth or wait wait she projects an illusion which obscures the truth but it also reveals the truth in the sense that once you understand 
how once you understand that what you're seeing is an illusion, then you can see how it obscures the truth. And then that reveals the truth because it's like, uh, I think we've talked about it before, but oh man, this magical phone I have in my pocket, it does all this stuff. But then when you learn how it works, it's not as maybe mystifying as it was before. Because kind of like when an invention or something novel becomes mundane, the illusion of it kind of wears off. And then, you know, if you're smart enough, you can go create your own illusion because you've learned how illusions work, right? Yeah. Arthur, Arthur C. Clarke said, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Same kind of thing. It's an illusion. So, uh, so it's interesting in this, in this movie, the illusion of Adam, Adam's illusion of who he is starts to break down when he goes to queen video because he goes to queen video and he picks up a form of entertainment, a form of entertainment, which introduces to him his real identity. Right. Right. Cause in the, in the entertainment, he sees literally himself, not figuratively himself, but literally his own identity. And so that's sort of the first key that starts to unlock his and undo, well, hopefully undo his neuroses of being right. dissociated from his shadow and, and the, all the real complications. It's the initiation that... to the possibility of growth. Yeah. And, and so it's the birth of um, Samantha from her. Maybe. Yeah. How, hmm, how so? Well, that's the thing that triggers, that's the thing that initiates. Mm. Isn't it? Is that the moment? That's the the moment yeah. that initiates the pathway. You, mm. you, you, you cr the awareness is created, and then you begin down a path that hopefully leads towards some sort of exegesis of some kind, right? Yeah. Well, in this case, finding out he has a doppelganger. Well, there was a there was that there before, so far down in the shadow that it was unknown. But now at least he knows it's there. This is the initiation to the path that's going to lead towards some growth of some kind. But it doesn't go that way because right. it's a tool uh, cover of Jungian ideas, <laughs> yeah. not a Sufi and yeah. Stevens cover. Yeah. So the the call I'll, to adventure. I'll buy, I'll buy that. <laughs> so the call to adventure in this movie, the call to adventure is the thing that happens in your daily routine of life, which it ejects you from the the round of just repetition and mundane existence. So the call to adventure here is the the guy in the the teacher's break room, the teacher's lounge that says, "Hey, do you do you like going to movies?" And then he's, like, "Oh God, what's this dweeb talking to me for?" Love that's that the refusal of the call. Yeah, it's like the, that's the refusal of the call. But then. Um, when he actually embarks on the adventure because he's bored, uh, he rents that video where there's a will, there's a way kind of like the subconscious is trying to break out into consciousness where there's a will, there's a way it's going to erupt somehow in the, the way least resistive. Um, then he finds this video of himself and he, he's finally like he has, I think three identities in this movie, Adam, Anthony, and Daniel, the pseudonym he uses as an actor. So he's trying to pick apart 
his own identity. And how does he start that? Well, he sees himself with a, a different name in a movie. Right. Uh, it's sort of, so that then. Hmm. So entertainment as a tool to actually, it, 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 it's like, it is Maya. It is exactly what Maya is and functions as it can, it can, it, it obscures reality because entertainment is entertainment. It's a falsity. It's a myth. It's a, it's a narrative. That's not real. At the same time, art imitates life. Life imitates art. So to some degree, yeah. when we can understand it, kind of like what we're talking about here, then it can actually reveal reality to us so that the what it obscures and what it projects are kind of broken down, and then we can understand it and talk about it. Which is also sort of the function of, of stories in general. I mean, you, yep. you derive your... Uh, you gain insight from, let's say, people gain insight from reading the Bible every day, uh, or uh, reading the Quran, or your prayers, or the stories that are related to. If you live in an older society, the stories that the the elders tell, right? You you yeah. glean things from those stories that you can try to apply here or there. What would Jesus do? And, and so it's interesting to think about. Uh, this is kind of, I just thought about this, but you know, I, we just talked about at what point there seems to be this Peterson connection. And with that line that, um, any, any act of memory is creative and it's feminine. So he, in order, when he starts remembering who he is, he goes to queen video like that, you know, there's a sort of, uh, and, and the idea of Maya is a feminine right. idea. So anyway, it, it's just kind of cool to wrap all that stuff together and it, yeah, it's, that's that's a very that's a very that's a very interesting point. But the also the other thing is that the, so then bringing that toward the um, the quote from Hegel, um, the first time is a tragedy, the second time is a farce. It's as though the first time created this sort of shell that obscures, right? or a haze that obscures, but it's a fairly thin one. And so the call to adventure, the thing that causes him to go rent the video that allows him to see that there is this doppelganger, this other, this other self, uh, allows him to break through that shell, that obscuring whatever it is missed fairly easily as though this is sort of the first time this has happened. But then once it's done the second time, it seems likely that that shell might get thicker. So if the, mm. if the shadow is <clears throat> always going to find like, like magma beneath the crust of the earth, it's always going to find a way out, right? There's a, okay, there's a thin part here that's a hot spot or that's a volcano. It's always going to, the shadow is always going to find a way to sort of worm its way to the surface, right? But when the, maybe when the sort of obscuring layer is very thin, it's easy for him to 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 actually try to confront these things to see if he can move move through this sort of new experience, this adventure in the call to adventure, this this uh, journey, this hero's journey, um, productively. But once that first failure happens in the hero's journey, you're supposed to have a first failure, and then the first failure is the thing that sort of initiates you to then learn a new power that you can then use to to slay slay the dragon or the monster or whatever it may be except this time it seems to the failure he's allowing it to by seeing the spider in the corner 
essentially create this very thick sort of the 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 sarcophagus over Chernobyl that's going to prevent <laughs> it from happening or make it much more difficult mm. if again the shadow rears its head and tries to find a way to the surface it seems like he might be too far entrenched now because it's it's a farce now it's a farce and so maybe the sh- the spider at the end in the room is sort of saying um it might be too late for this guy i mean here we go again but uh, uh this time he's he had a shot you know if you have one yeah. chance and you don't take it uh it's 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 really a shame if you if you you know the second time you you know it's going to be a lot harder because the 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 neural structures the pathways are going to be fused to um, yeah be in this be in the weird spider sex club and uh you know have the same habit pattern the habit patterns form and so i think that's yep. what the spider signifies yeah i wondered that's why <clears throat> that look on his face is is not just a that look on his face is so complex because i think it's it's supposed to register all those things it's like yeah a tragedy a disaster that i missed the boat here this was my moment to do it and i didn't do it and then also well he, uh, we know he's been unfaithful before right yeah right right well that's why he's he's breaking through the shell he, that whole thing was breaking through, through the shell the first time but now it seems like the 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 habit patterns are fusing in a way Ossifying. but it's sad there's a there's a sort of a pathetic resignation on his face in a way <clears throat> Yeah, it's yeah. almost like uh, there, there's no point yeah, in trying be again. The, be the like, motorcycle guy, I guess. Yeah, because I can't <laughs> yeah. control myself. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have another donut. Why not? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was trying to sort of reconcile the ending because his his face is. I think it took a couple of viewings for me to sort of reconcile what the expression on his face was in accordance yeah yeah that's uh that's the jake gyllenhaal superpower um but in reconcile it with the the philosophy from the beginning of the film that exactly what you just said that the first time is a tragedy the second time is a farce because it's like yeah what you know whatever this is stupid the first time it had meaning but now that we're doing it again the whole thing just is stupid so well, not stupid in in that I am aware that it's stupid. Stupid that there's maybe a, a brief recognition that that I I just missed my chance and yeah. I I see myself beginning to cascade downward and one but once that cascade happens, then I won't even know it anymore. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll go back and, to the beginning of the movie where he's doing doing it all over. Right. And, you know, it might be interesting to try to put that discussion up against the idea of Parsifal. Do you remember that uh, the night of the Knights of the Round Table, the romance stories of the Grail? Mm-hmm. Did you that I, I sent you a talk with Campbell? Yeah, I listened to Campbell. it. Yeah. So in Parsifal's story, dope. in Parsifal's story, he makes it to the Grail Castle, the, the ultimate goal of his journey one time, but he's sort of too ignorant to realize how to accomplish his goal in the castle. So he gets sort of kicked out of it. And then he spends like the next, I forget how many years it is trying to get back to the grail castle to get another shot at 
achieving illumination, individuation, and, and sort of the the goal of his life. So it, I don't know. In order for Jake Gyllenhaal's character to achieve <clears throat> what he should have achieved the first time, it's going to be this sort of like herculean task right that that's what i was trying to say maybe you just said it better than i said it i spent five minutes talking but you you said it perfectly there it's herculean now the sarcophagus instead of the the candy uh um the um the the hand-dipped ice cream candy shell uh right it's 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 a sarcophagus it's much going to be much harder to break through that this time herculean and it sort of also reminds me of that that story of i don't remember who it is but the young hunter who stumbles into the place yeah. where the nymphs uh, many nude nymphs are bathing and it's who um Af- is aphrodite might be aphrodite Ar- it's artemis 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 and he as an undeveloped male has no he doesn't know how to deal with this right so you know he he is on the same plane maybe there and so hmm. what happens to him is that he gets turned into a deer because he's this he, he's not able to he can't rise to the level of Artemis. He might be if he were mature enough, if he were responsible enough, if he were whatever enough, if he had the right attributes, the mental strength or whatever it is, he might have had Artemis as his mate, right? But yeah. she's so yeah. far beyond him. He can't even comprehend the characteristics yeah. that <clears throat> would allow him to be on her level as it were whatever those characteristics might be and so instead his of own achieving that him. he gets eaten by dogs as a deer right she, his own dogs she zaps him yeah. and he gets eaten by his own dogs after being turned into a deer by artemis um when he had he had a chance but he didn't know how to how to use that chance right and it's the same thing here um the act of his wife um showing him that she understands his infidelity and is willing to give him another chance and there's a then comes to him when he's on the sofa they have sex there in a very sort of as i said it's a it's a very loving way right it's not it's a different style um than he (laughs) does with the girlfriend right there's something very tender about it i don't know how to describe it it's very tender it's very loving and and that sort of is the the Artemis, right? She's showing him that, or in a way, that this is the sexuality that Artemis has, the, f- the full-on sort of female uh, sexuality that's more mature, that is her own person. And he, it's, very, it's very human, like right. a whole complete, a whole human, complete not, human, not just uh, yeah. male, not just female. It's like the marriage of opposites, the um, mystery, uh, the mysterious wedding, the alchemical thing, mysterium carnivorous. If the... If the woman with the stilettos crushing the spider is two percent, then this is the other ninety-eight percent of it, yeah, of femininity or or being what it means to be a woman, and maybe that is also symbolized by the spider because maybe the spider is a caretaker who who um, is very yeah. sensitive because a spider sits on a web and is very sensitive to other people's emotions. So the wider the spider who sits on the web can feel any vibration on the web and knows what's going on. And, and there's sort of these abilities that a spider has that we can barely comprehend. And if we fully appreciate those things, we benefit from those things, right? To fully appreciate your spouse, for example, and value them as another human being who has their own interests, their own goals, and their own nature that's not the same as, as yours. And that moment is her sort of 
saying benevolently, I'm mm. going to forgive you for this childish this childish shit. I get it. You're you know, you're frustrated, you feel like you're getting cold feet on being a father, but this is my act to show you that I I, I get it, but let's move forward. And then, I want you to stay. And then for a second there, he sort of is on board, right? There's a there's a moment, at, there's a little bit after that where they're in a really good place, and then he gets the key, and that getting the key, key, the key, getting the key to the to the club is sort of like Dunkin' Donuts releases uh, <laughs> uh, pumpkin spice Krispy Kreme, you know, or, uh, well, Dunkin' Donuts Krispy Kreme. What am I saying? They're two different yeah. brands, but you get it. They release a new one. It's like ah, oh, well, I you know. I achieved something, but now I'm I'm off the wagon. The Dunkin' Crispy Bucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Dunkin' Crispy Crispy Bucks vanilla spice um, uh, uh, donut with uh, Bavarian fudge inside and orange and mocha frappuccino. There's just no there's no way to to refuse that. Because if he hadn't received the key, then he would maybe he would have stayed on the path, right? But yeah, I've I've been trying to I haven't quite been able to verbalize or come to a complete sentence about what is it? Why is it that the key does that? Because Unica is Portuguese and Spanish for only. And it's, I don't know, does it mean only you or um, only, I couldn't. You know, you've, you've seen Breaking Bad where um, Jesse meets his, this girl who's really nice. She's really cool. And she's yeah, yeah, yeah. sober. Um, for something like a long period of time, many months, I think. And, uh, she had been a drug addict and then, um, she, she almost is able to say no to him, but, uh, finally she's at the door. She has her, I think she has a key in her hand Mm -hmm. and she's about to walk out and then she turns around and goes into his room. And that's the beginning of her death because it's that one thing. And it's because the pathways have formed. All of the the habit patterns are there in place. And all you mm-hmm. have to do is tip over one domino and it's all mm. going to fall. And so, so if he were going to create a habit pattern or a, you know forge a new pathway of be a good husband, be a good father, uh, then that was the time when it would have happened. But right at that moment, a domino... This one single action, <clears throat> one domino is pushed over. And since all of those habits are already there, since all of those sort of uh, yeah. infantile pathways are already formed, he's been through this before, everything else is just sort of cascade failure. The, the nature is taking its... Uh, nature is is just playing out in his yeah. mind at that point. But it's, the key is just a domino, I think. Yeah, yeah. There's a... I think at the beginning of... The ecstasy of being in one of Campbell's books. It ta- he talks about the idea where, where the word symbol comes from, and it's a key in in the sense that I think in in Greek trading ports, when you pulled into port with your your haul or your wares, <clears throat> you would go to the port and you would be given a there was a ledger of it would get marked down of how what, like what you brought in, and then you would be given the other half of this key in the in the sense that um it's like a puzzle piece but or a puzzle and it's only of two pieces so the guy at the harbor keeps one piece you keep the other and then when you come back later to retrieve what you're trading then you bring your part 
and the other person has their part. And when you connect it, then you get access to this load or this cargo. So it's sort of a, 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 <clears throat> a unique key that only works for you. And so that's the only thing that I could really. And, uh, and Anthony has in, in his home, a complete picture of himself with, uh, his wife. Right. And, um, yeah. Adam has only half of that picture. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, was that his wife? Because it didn't look like the same girl I mean, to me. Why would he have that though? It, yeah, I know. It, it, on the shelf, when I was looking at it, it looked like there was that picture that we see, which is ripped in half at the beginning of the film. And then uh, there's a. I don't. I thought it maybe it was his sister or something. And because there's another picture down below it, and I think it's the same other girl, just a friend. And then there's a picture of his wife near that. But I, I didn't. I couldn't tell. But the key thing still holds because he's got half of it. And then when he gets home, he finds the other half. Half of it. Yeah, because at the beginning of the movie, when he's when he's living in his own sort of secluded apartment, he's got that – his picture is ripped in half. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I and thought then you when he half goes, of a key. Uh, I was confused. Oh, no. no. Any more coffee? But, I'm slowing down. Yeah. Um, uh, I was going to ask about, so you mentioned him at his own apartment, why he doesn't answer. He never answers his mother's phone calls. Yeah. You think that supposed to goes back to the dictator thing or that there's some sort of, uh, complex there as though when he's in a certain state, when he's in Anthony mode, uh, that, uh, he, he almost doesn't see it. It doesn't exist or I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe he just doesn't want to interact with his mom because I, I think, I mean, when he's in her, she's obviously very successful. She's That's a creative. Say. It's sort of like but, one of those, it's trust fund kid and your, your parents control your life. And if you ever, you know, if you ever run out of money, they'll send you more. Don't worry about it. But they also have some sway. Right. And in that scene, when he's at his mom's house, uh, there's a bunch of paintings behind it. So she's a creative, yeah, kind of like the mother creative of the sculptor who did the spider sculptures. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but she's kind of just telling him the whole time feel this way. Don't do this. Don't do that. You should grow up. You, you know, thou shalt, thou shalt not just the whole time. So, I mean, She's, I'd want to say yeah. that too. She seems to have leverage though. Her leverage might be that she is very successful, um, that she uh, probably has a, a lot of money. He has a dream that might allow him to have all the freedom and fame he wants, but that dream hasn't been realized because he only has bit parts in small movies and his role as a teacher is not something that is particularly valued or even esteemed in, you know, we, we don't say, oh, wow, you're a teacher, you know what I mean? A college professor. So maybe he doesn't have the recognition that he would want to have. And because <clears throat> she's maybe successful, uh, I would imagine that when he, for example, has, maybe he was when his, in his 20s, he couldn't pay rent sometimes, and she would just say, I'll send you the rent, don't worry about it. Um, but then that comes at, at a cost, and the cost is that you owe me something in a way. Yeah. So if I say, don't feel this way, or you love blueberries, or whatever I say, there's sort of a deference that's expected of you, because whenever 
you couldn't do what you're supposed to do as an adult, I stepped in and took care of you. And so I, I, I yeah. am the protector still in a way. Or when the provider becomes a dictator yeah. because it provides so much. Yeah. Yeah. Over provision. Uh, maybe she, should, yeah, maybe she, yeah, she's used to him kind of listening to what she says and not really worried too much about how he feels. Not the supportive mother, not the mother who really listens. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a hard time putting into words what the point of the car crash was. And the thing, because trying to think about it in Jungian terms, it, it seems like the shadow is interacting with the anima to me. And so I'm like, well, what, why is, mm. and, and when, you know, if that is true, if that's what the, if that's what's going on when we see it, then when the anima interacts with the shadow, there's this uh, destruction. There's a destructive yeah. aspect of it, and I, I couldn't quite. What so, did, like what did you think? I I saw that as so if I try to visualize it, the car crash is an attempt at annihilation, like quitting smoking cold turkey is likely to result in smoking in the future uh, rather than other ways mm. which might allow it to mm. be permanently gone so annihilating the shadow annihilating the anima completely is not annihilating them in the sense that they're actually gone but it's sort of trying to dispatch them to the depths so that they're you know they're totally yeah. gone they're gone now rather than integrating right integration yeah. would yeah. be i have this these urges i love feet um, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is, I have these tendencies. I have this, I have this drive to have recognition. I have this drive for people to know me. I want to be famous actor. I have this drive for a motorcycle. Um, whatever it is, those those sorts of things to recognize that to integrate it as part of his personality would have been mm -hmm. the correct <clears throat> way to go. So it's sort of like saying, this is what you don't do if you want to mature and develop right what yeah. you what you don't do is attempt to destroy because you're not going to destroy it it's going to look like a car crash but you can see on the windshield of the car there is a spider web the uh the pattern on the windshield is a spider web the cracked glass looks like a spider yeah, web right. so that's sort of like actually what you've done is you've pushed it down for a while but it's going to come back up and probably with more force than yeah. before, right? You're still caught. Yeah, you're still caught for sure. Yeah, that's how. I yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Because the the only stuff I've read in Young is about the you know first you deal with the shadow, and then you can deal with your anima projections, which is sort of is what is kind of going on in the movie. You know, he gets introduced to his shadow first, and then he sort of understands how he sees females does he though mm. um yeah okay so here's here's uh this is another thing we didn't talk about there's a scene where he's in a dream state again and he's seeing the woman the naked woman the walking face. down the hallway yeah. right and it's not a <clears throat> it's sort of a mix of the anima and the spider so there's sort of this transition or transformation going on yeah in his perceptions yeah and then at the end, he sees of his he sees a female as a full spider, his wife. Right. So, 
there's right. that sort of transition blending of perceptions. Well, I think what you said, what Jung was saying is a prescription for maybe how it's done. You deal with this and then you deal with that, right? It's sort of you do it in sequence, but maybe you don't try to put them together. Don't put them in the same car and smash them into a barrier. <laughs> right. And and that's, you were talking about the, the concern about framing masculinity and femininity in the movie. In that conversation in the car, that's when the anima, the girlfriend says, you're not a man. And he's like, what? I'm not a man. I'm not a man. Get out of the car. And then he, you know, they drive into that pylon and, but it's a, the, the feminine assaults his masculinity. Yeah. And then he, he, uh, calls it quits he checks out <laughs> yeah yeah um which is i don't think that's meant to be any sort of conscious thing that's going on i think that's again most of the movie is sort of just like um marionettes playing out a drama mm -hmm. happening deep within the psyche and these humans that we see in the movie yeah all right they, they're really there but yeah not really i mean it doesn't matter the lines are blurred we can Could view be them as representations of what's going on inside this guy at this very pivotal point in his life when he's about to have a child when he's about to be a father which is the crux of the transition between free young uh dreams and not free responsibilities support your family that's that yeah. that critical thing is right and there. and and that's what society compresses us into rather than having a full well it may be maybe the which drives us nuts but maybe the antidote to that is to have the best of both worlds not all of one and none of the other right. in either direction but why not be the teacher who's a dad who drives a motorcycle to school or yeah. Yeah, like or the, the, the family who travels around the world uh, together sure yeah. you know they they uh, work remotely they uh, <laughs> do freelance i know people who do that i know a, a yeah, couple yeah. with a with a daughter and they homeschool their daughter and um i mean she studies with them and they travel all around the world they go they spend three months in one place and then go to another and they both work remotely that sounds cool i sounds, want that sounds dope that sounds dope